Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Adam Casel. I'm the vision and administration pastor here on staff. Thank you. Thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. No, 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 don't, don't, don't humor me. All right, now I'm embarrassed. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Let's just wrap it up. Let's call it a day. I'm sure many of us in this room have lived long enough to know that the cliche hindsight is 2020 has truth to it. Right? We can probably think of uh, plenty of negative examples where that has been true. Maybe uh, we made a purchase that we shouldn't have. We've, we took a job we shouldn't have. We, we made a move we shouldn't have. We uh, got into a relationship we shouldn't have. And as we look back, there were warning signs along the way. Our intuition was telling us this is not a good idea. We didn't have peace from God about this decision. Or we had some dear friends who outright told us, don't do that. What you are doing is a bad idea. Don't do it. And we knew better, and so we pushed that all aside. However, I think there can be plenty of positive examples of when we look back and seeing that hindsight is 2020 is actually really good because we can see the examples of God moving in our lives, of how he guided us along a path to make the right decision that was beneficial for us. I feel like I've got many, but, but one of the, the most poignant is when I was in high school trying to decide where to go to college. And I was a very young believer, new believer at that time. And for some reason, I had the crazy thought, belief, that God could actually direct me and cared about where I went to school. And so I, as I was going through, I had three deal breakers for me of a school. Had to be outside of the state of Ohio. If you've been, you know. It makes sense. It is, Ohio is a four-letter word. It's true. I'm just saying. No, I, four of my kids were born in Ohio, so I can't, I can't be too negative. So that was number one. Number two, I wanted to play soccer in college, and I wanted to play at the Division I level, so it had to be a Division I school. Third, this is kind of silly, but I did not want one of my school colors to be purple. I did, maybe I was really insecure at that time about wearing the color purple, but I didn't didn't want that. Well, as I was going through the process of talking to schools, uh, I also I prayed the most foolish prayer. I said, God, lead me to where I'm going to be able to grow in my faith. Yeah, he answered that. So as I'm looking, again, looking at schools, talking to them, the one that's standing out the most is this place called Ashton University. It's in Ohio. It's a Division II school. One of their colors is purple. <laughs> Hindsight, though, is 2020 because I really grew in my faith. I met my wife, a lot of great friends uh, through that time. Hindsight was 2020. This morning, we're going to look at a passage where two people didn't know what was happening as it was happening until after the fact when they had hindsight. Last week, 
Randy mentioned how we are actually still in the season of Easter. Easter is not a one-day thing, but it is a a multi-week season and celebration that leads us up to Pentecost, or the Hebrew word is Shavuot. And that that first Pentecost, after Jesus rose from the dead, is recounted uh, in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 disciples who were gathered together. Some believe that, or consider that, the birth of the church. We're going to look this morning at a passage where the resurrected Jesus meets two of his followers on the road on the day that he rose from the dead. So if you have a Bible with you, turn uh, to Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 13. Now this passage that we're going to look at, 24, 24, 13. This passage that we're going to look at is one of five times that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, uh, appeared to his disciples. Now, I'm going to break this up uh, in three sections. We're not going to read all of it at once. Uh, But the most important thing that I want us to take away from this morning is that the resurrected Jesus invites us to live a life where we practice resurrection. The resurrected Jesus invites us to live a life where we practice resurrection. Some of us have a negative view of the word practice. Maybe Allen Iverson comes to mind. If you're over 35, you know that reference. (laughs) When we hear practice, we think of something that's tedious, difficult, frustrating, It's the necessary evil in order to do the thing that we really want to do, to play the game, to be in the performance. But when when I talk about practice this morning, I want us to think like a doctor or a lawyer. And that, that means we're putting the knowledge that we have into action. See, because we could have an expert level of knowledge about a subject, but if we don't do it, we're not really it. A person could graduate from med school, but if they're not actually meeting with patients and helping them get well, are they really a doctor? Also, if you have an important presentation or some event coming up that you get to practice for, you would do so so that in the moment when it really matters, it's just second nature. It's like breathing. So practicing resurrection is doing the theory. We're applying the knowledge that Jesus is raised from the dead. He's making all things new. And as citizens of a different kingdom, we get to live like it. The story that we're going to look at is about two people who started to practice resurrection. Now, there's three aspects of it this morning that we're going to look at. Don't don't think of these as necessarily three steps or, you know, three parts of the process, but I think rather kind of stages of where we could be in the midst of practicing resurrection. So the first part of the passage we're going to read is Luke 24, verses 13 to 24. Luke writes, Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, 
which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here in these days? What things? He asked. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of us who were left, some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Let's pray together. Jesus, our hope is based on the fact that you rose from the dead, that you have conquered sin, Satan, and death, and we get to experience that resurrection this morning. So for those who have already put their trust in you, uh, would you speak to us about what this looks like in our lives. And for any here this morning who, who might not, would you open our eyes to see how good you are and to uh, draw us to yourself. In your name we pray, amen. So the first part of the resurrected Jesus who invites us to live a life where we practice resurrection is dealing with doubt and disappointment. Now, the idea of practice resurrection, briefly, is uh, the title of a book from Eugene Peterson um, where he looks at Ephesians, a book I highly recommend, and I just had to steal the title for this morning. So I'm going to walk through this first passage that we, I just read and make some uh, observations. Luke starts out by saying, now that same day. So this was on that first resurrection Sunday. Have you ever had a busy day? You know, a day where you wake up earlier than normal and it's nonstop until you go to bed and maybe you go to bed even later than normal that day. The disciples were having one of those days. It started at dawn when a group of women went to Jesus's tomb to prepare his body. Now, let's go back a little bit. The, that first Good Friday when Jesus was crucified, they only... They only had time to put Jesus' body in the tomb. They couldn't go through all the preparation because it was coming up to the Sabbath and Passover. So the disciples have been sitting in disappointment for over 24 hours. There was nothing they could do 
from that time they laid Jesus' body in the grave until this resurrection morning. So as Luke recounts it, he talks about these women going to the tomb. And then Peter can't believe his eye, his ear, so he runs to the tomb and he's got to check it out himself. And so everybody's sitting in this place of what's happened to the body. Then in verses 14 and 15, it's interesting. Luke says they're discussing and arguing. They're kind of, it's this idea of questioning one another where they're not trying to understand or get information, but they're trying to get one another. Like, hey, how do you, what do you do about this? You know, they're looking for that gotcha moment. Have you ever had one of those questions where you're asking questions? You're not really asking questions. You're trying to make your point. If you're married, the answer is yes. They are, to use one of my favorite Randyisms, they're in the midst of intense fellowship. <laughs> What's funny is there's two people that we know of. One is named, and I'll, I'll get, come back to that. Some believe this is actually a husband and a wife walking along, maybe back to their house, or it's two, uh, two of Jesus' followers, two male uh, followers walking along. I don't know about you, but if I'm ever in one of these moments with my wife having working through something, I love having outside people come in, be, be a part of it. <laughs> Just be there, you know, right, sitting there with us. Uh-huh. Oh, he makes a good point. Oh, she makes a good point. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Arguments feel like sacred space, right? You, you kind of tread on holy ground, sort of like walking into somebody's bedroom. You're like, I don't know if I should be here right now. I know some of this is cultural, but I, I can't imagine some stranger just kind of walking alongside me, period. You, you ever have those moments when you're walking down the road and you just happen to be at the same pace, like you're walking with somebody, but you're not with that person? You either have to slow down and let them go, or you speed up. Like, this is weird. Don't stay at the same pace as me. So Jesus is walking alongside. He knows them, but they don't recognize him as, as Peter, or sorry, Luke points out in verse 16, he says they, they were prevented from recognizing him. This is the third time in Luke's account that the disciples are completely oblivious to what Jesus is doing. And actually, it says they were prevented three times. The first two when, were when Jesus was talking about his death. So even after all this time, they still don't get it. They still don't know what's going on. And Jesus asked the great question, what are you disputing? What are you guys arguing about? Jesus is playing Columbo or Charlie Kale for the younger people, if you've seen Poker Face. He's playing dumb. So uh, what are you talking about? What are you arguing about? Jesus was so great at asking questions, and he still is if we let him. Have you ever asked or been asked a question that deeply resonates with you or with the other person. Like you ask a question, but you put your finger, they put their finger right in your heart. That's what, he, that's what Jesus does by just asking, what are you guys disputing? Because it says they stopped walking. 
Like it, it literally stopped them in their tracks. Up to this point, Cleopas and the unnamed follower, they were arguing about their doubt and disappointment. Jesus' question is making them deal with it. They've now got to deal with their doubt and their disappointment. It's not just theory about what do you think happened, here's what I think happened. It's stopping and recounting what happened. So Cleopas, this is the only time he's ever mentioned in the Bible. He essentially says to Jesus, have you been under a rock? Like, are you not checking Facebook and Twitter? Like, it's trending right now. And then the rest of that section that I just read is Cleopas has to recount what happened. He said, there was this prophet. He was great. He was powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. We were hoping he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. He's talking about everything that happened, but he was crucified, and, and now his body's missing. Jesus had to bring them to a place of honesty. He had to get them to express their doubt and their disappointment. Because Jesus can only deal with us in reality. He can only deal with us where we, where we are. And we have to be honest about that. If we want to practice, live out the reality of the resurrection, we have to be honest about where we are. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is when, uh, in Mark 9, Jesus, he was just transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John. They, they got to see Jesus' glory. They saw, literally saw a part of Jesus they had never seen before. And they're walking down the mountain talking with Jesus, and, and Jesus gives them instruction like, hey, what just happened? You can't talk about it. And they come down the mountain, and this father rushes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, help me. I brought my son to your disciples to cast out a demon, and, and they couldn't do it. So Jesus challenges everybody, how long do I have to be here? And then the, the father brings the boy to Jesus, and the, the boy starts having a seizure right in front of Jesus. And Jesus decides now's a good time to ask about his medical history. How many of us would have rushed right in and cast that demon out? Jesus was like, so uh, how long has he been like this? The father's like, oh, since he was a boy, and you know, he's telling, it throws him in the fire of water and going through all these things. If you can do anything, help him. And Jesus then turns to dad, if I can, anything is possible for those who believe. And the father just cries out, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He just dealt, he was honest about where he was, and then Jesus casts it out. He wanted the father to come to a place of just being honest about where he was. Because friends, our doubts and disappointments don't hinder us from practicing resurrection. It's the denial of those doubts and disappointments that hinder us. There's not a doubt or a disappointment that God can't handle. There's nothing that you're, you're wrestling through that he's never heard before, that he's never had to walk with somebody through. As a reminder, God's not worried about anything. 
Doesn't mean he doesn't care. He's not worried. The thing you're worried about, he's not worried about. So if we find ourselves in a place of doubt or disappointment, then being honest about that allows us to practice resurrection. The second part of practicing resurrection that we see in this passage is this couple goes, they, they start to experience a paradigm shift. We see that in verses 25 through 27. He, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, to our ears, that may sound kind of harsh, what Jesus said. Why are you so slow to believe? Why are you so foolish and slow, literally slow of heart to believe? He's not slamming them. Jesus is a, a master teacher. He's not angry. He's trying to stir them up to awaken them to what's going on. Essentially, after all this time, do you still not get it? After everything I taught you along the way, after things happening exactly like I said, you still don't understand? But Jesus meets them where they are. Again, how foolish and how slow of heart to believe. That word foolish has to do with without reason, intellect, understanding, or thought. In the Bible, it's not a sin to be foolish, but it's not noble. It's, it's akin to being childish. We're called as followers of Jesus to, to love God with our heart, or our mind, our reason, and our intellect. The slow of heart to believe means they weren't trusting they weren't trusting Jesus in the midst of this. They weren't thinking about Jesus' teachings and the scriptures and everything that he did up to that point. So in the midst of that, Jesus does a Bible study. He does a Bible seminar right there. I would have loved to be there. Have you ever had the experience when you, you learn something and then you're able to see it and it's everywhere. And you wonder, how in the world did I not see that before? That's what they're about to go through. It's like getting a new pair of glasses or having some hindrance removed. They're seeing their scriptures and the story of God in a whole new way now. I could just imagine Jesus kind of walking through it's because it says it started with Moses and the prophets. He, he's probably, he probably means the whole Hebrew scriptures at that point. But I could just imagine him saying, hey, remember back in the garden when you know, the man and the woman, they sinned, and, and God gave this promise about um, the woman, a descendant of the woman is going to you know, have this battle with the descendant of the serpent, and he's, his heel's going to be struck, but he's going to strike the head of the serpent. Remember that? I was about the Messiah. Remember when Moses mentioned that there's going to be a prophet greater than him? Oh, he's, he's talking about the Messiah. 
You know how in Leviticus, there's all those sacrifices, and, and for generations and generations, people have been sacrificing to God? That was actually pointing to the Messiah. Remember the suffering servant in Isaiah? You're right, Messiah. Jesus just walking him through how all the scriptures were pointing to him and to the, these events. This resurrection brings a whole new light to what Jesus taught and did. He's changing how they see the world. If Jesus is alive, if he's defeated sin and death, then we can practice resurrection here and now while we still wait the, the fullness of it. As a vineyard, as we, we talk about, we live in the already. The, the resurrection is already here, but not yet in its fullness. Because another part of practicing the resurrection here and now is that our understanding of things is always growing and changing. There's a constant newness and freshness as we practice the resurrected life and how we see the world and see our place in it. Jesus said of himself that he is the truth. And so the more that we know him, the, the more we know the truth, which again contributes to this shifting of what we believe and how we live. Jesus invites us to practice resurrection. That third, the third part that this couple goes through, I'm calling blessed and broken. That's the Remaining verses of 28, verses 28 through 35, Luke writes, They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together, who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how, he had, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This blessed and broken, I'm borrowing from Henry Nouwen, one of his teachings that he does or did. The ways uh, that Jesus made himself known after he was raised from the dead speak a lot to us about his relationship with his disciples. As you recall, uh, on Easter Sunday, when Randy was teaching on John 20, it was when he said Mary's name that she recognized him. Later, with Thomas, it's when he, he knows Thomas's test. You know, I'm not going to believe until I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and in his side. And so Jesus says, Thomas, here, the hands, my side. Another time, Jesus appears to two of the Marys and just says, greetings. 
And the disciples, he, t- he says to him, shalom, peace. Let's him know he's flesh and bone. Like, it's really me. Here, he has a meal. Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Notice, it wasn't the expounding of the scriptures. That's important. But that's not when their eyes were opened. It was when he blessed the bread, broke it, and gave gave it to them. And just like that, Jesus disappears. And so they say to each other, they, they have hindsight kicks in. Wait. When Jesus was talking, our, weren't our hearts burning? Oh, that's what was going on. We were talking to Jesus. So they run back to Jerusalem. You know, it's almost nighttime. That, that's a dangerous jog. They run back because the one that they loved is alive. Who or what we love forms us more than anything. They weren't excited because now their theology was amazing. This wasn't an ecstatic experience. Again, they listened to a teaching and they had a meal. They weren't caught up to the third heavens. And yet they were filled with joy and hope. Because the table, the reason we celebrate communion every week, it it reminds us why and how we practice resurrection. All of this only makes sense because of what Jesus did for us and he rose from the dead. As Paul told told the Corinthians that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, our faith is hopeless and we're of all people most to be pitied. Not, you know, you'll still live a good life. No, most to be pitied. Jesus takes the bread and the cup, and he reminds us that we're blessed and broken. Our current state is that we are blessed. Only good things are ever spoken to us and over us by our Heavenly Father. That's blessing, to have good things said to and about you. So when we take that blessing and give it to others, that's breaking it off. And then God replenishes it. So we're blessed. We take that blessing, break it off, give it to somebody else, and God replenishes it. Friends, remember the table is where we come with doubt and disappointment. We come in the midst of uncertainty. We come when we feel broken. And we come when we feel blessed. And most of the time, we're probably a combination of those things. We can say, this part of my life feels blessed. This part feels really uncertain. Over here, I'm just racked with doubt. But in it all, we practice resurrection. Remember, it was the resurrected Jesus who met them in their doubt and disappointment. It was the resurrected Jesus who explained the scriptures in a way they weren't able to grasp in that moment. It was the resurrected Jesus who broke bread with them and blessed it. In this moment, Cleopas and his companion had doubts 
and disappointment. They had their doubts and disappointment addressed, and Jesus' teaching finally made sense. That's not always the way it is, but we still get to practice resurrection. We're still blessed and able to be a blessing to others. Remember, they... to get a new microphone. (laughs) They ran back to tell the others what happened. They gave away what they had, and we get to do the same. You don't have to have it all, but give away what you have. That's practicing resurrection. So friends, which of these three areas most resonates with us right now this morning? Do we feel like we're in a place of dealing with doubt and disappointment? That we're undergoing a a paradigm shift of some sort? Or is it the fact that we're blessed and we're broken, we're able to give that away? Where are you this morning? Again, we, we have to be honest about where we are and whether or not we want to stay there. As I said earlier, Jesus only deals with us in reality, not if we're deceiving ourselves and and being dishonest. Because the table reminds us we have what we need to practice resurrection. A couple of suggestions if, if one of those areas resonates with you. If you're in a place of doubt and disappointment, do you have someone to talk with and to pray with you through this? We've got a couple of great ministries, Sozo and the Healing Room. People would love to sit with you in those times to see where God is in the midst of that. If you feel like maybe you're undergoing a, a paradigm shift of sorts, Community is essential because knowing we're a part of it, we belong to a group, helps us to, to grow and to learn that as we're looking into new areas of gaining knowledge, having community, having people we belong to helps us to grow and to develop. If you feel like you're blessed and broken, realizing that, ask God where you can give away what you have. So Amy, if you're able to come forward. Any of our ministry team members, if you can come up. So again, this morning we looked at how the resurrected Jesus invites us to live a life where we practice resurrection. And practicing resurrection means dealing with doubt and disappointment. It means going through paradigm shifts that we grow and we change. We have new understandings of who God is, who we are, who his people are, and what he's doing in the world. And 
we practice resurrection in the midst of knowing that we're blessed, that we're, we, we take that blessing and we give it to others. And as we do every week, we're going to have ministry time. Um, these teams are available and w- would love to pray with and for you. If any of those things uh, are, are resonating with you, I invite you to come up and pray with any of these teams. Uh, they'd, they'd love to, to pray with you and for you. These people are, are in tune to what God is saying and can share some things of what God is saying and doing with you. A couple of things, perhaps, uh, if you're in a place of the, the doubt and the disappointment that I think for some of us this morning, that's, it's kept us captive. It's kept us in this place of like, I, God can't work with me. He can't work through me. And, and he wants to release us from that, that he's still in the midst of, of those times and in those places. So if that resonates with you, I invite you to come to get prayer. Uh, as we gathered this morning um, for our, our pre-service meeting, it was, it was much quieter than usual, much more somber than usual. And I think that that is actually kind of a, a sign of what God's doing. That if that if you feel like you're just in a just a somber place right now, I want you to know the Lord is happy to be with you in the midst of that. You don't have to get, be brought out to a place of, of being happy and hopeful in order to really experience God's presence, that he is with you in the midst of this time, and he will meet you. If you have any other physical, emotional, or spiritual needs, our teams would love to pray for you. continue praying. Our teams will be available. Um, If you are waiting uh, or wanting to receive prayer, if you have kids in the children's ministry, you're invited to go pick them up. You're welcome to stay as late as you would like. If you need to go, go and, and be blessed knowing that the Lord's face is shining on you. He is gracious toward you. Go in love and peace.